You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome to the Needless Things Podcast, where we talk about toys, movies, music, and all manner of pop culture dorkery that we know you love. I am your host, Phantom Troublemaker, and this is the first non-gimmicky episode since October, since Halloween. Okay, well, who am I kidding? Non-gimmicky. They're all gimmicky. Uh, but this one is not the 31 Days of Halloween theme. We're back to normal-ish. Uh, I want to talk... First, about a movie I watched last night called Creep, which I had had in my Netflix queue for quite some time and just haven't watched because it's been horror month and it didn't seem like it was particularly supernatural or monstrous or anything like that. So I've been kind of just keeping it in mind but didn't have any plans to watch it. And I did... And holy cow, it stars Mark Duplass, who is just an acting powerhouse. That guy, everything that he's been in, he just reaches out of the screen and grabs your eyeballs and says, Look at me, I am Mark Duplass. My acting is phenomenal. My presence is incomparable. Uh, He's really, really good. And Creep is weird and creepy, oddly enough, and outstanding. I highly recommend it. Uh, check it out. I want don't don't read anything about it. Just watch it. Uh, watch anything that guy is in. Uh, he was also in Safety Not Guaranteed, which is tremendous in a completely different way. And that's the other thing is this guy is versatile. Uh, he's not you know a horror guy or a comedy guy or whatever. He's an everything guy. Uh, but intensity and just capturing your attention is he's amazing. So. Check out Creep. Uh, recommended. Uh, very surprising. Not, you know, it's not that I was surprised that it was good. I had a feeling it was going to be good, but it's just, it's an effective movie. Check it out. Uh, the reason I watched Creep is that I experienced something uh, rejuvenating and wonderful earlier this week. On Tuesday, I went and visited my friend and uh, partner in sexy crime, Miss Lady Flex, at her day job, which is at Adult Swim, which is downtown Atlanta. And I'm going to say witches one more time uh, for no good reason. But it was just amazing. Uh, we went down there to talk about plans for the Dirty Con game show, which we still have not determined if we're going to refer to it as that or continue with the uh, somewhat unwieldy Dirty Dirty Con Con game game show show, which is funny. Uh, well, it'll probably depend on the situation. But anyway, I went down there to have lunch and to talk about the game show. And she gave me a tour of the building, which is more secure than my own work building, which is kind of funny. Uh, 
and it's exactly what I thought it would be. It's covered in beautiful and interesting art. Uh, the people there were very nice. I got to meet several different people, including the creator of Sparkle Hooves, which if you are over 18 and have a twisted sense of humor, you need to get on YouTube and watch Sparkle Hooves right now. Oh, no, hunty. I can't even do the voice right, but I'm telling you, check out Sparkle Hooves. I got to meet that guy who's hilarious and who I will probably have on the show at some point if I'm lucky. Uh, she she walked me around. The place is gigantic, and her husband also works there. So I got to meet – well, I've, I've met him before. We got to talk uh, in person a little bit more than we have before, and he – I don't want to tell you what item he had because it it sort of does give something away a bit about creep. But we talked about creep, and he he enthusiastically recommended it. And he is a man who is smart about horror uh, and, and movies. And I would like to have him on the show as well, actually. But so uh, on his recommendation and and Miss Lady Flexes, uh, I I watched Creep and was happy. But Going down there and experiencing that place full of creativity and open-mindedness and, you know, I'm sure a job is a job. Everybody has their issues at work, but overall the feeling I got from that place was a positivity and an encouragement to be excellent, which I do not have at my own job in any way, shape, or form, aside from don't mess up. Uh, it was just really rejuvenating and wonderful and filled me with a creative energy. Just being down there for a couple hours did all that for me, and I need that from time to time because, you know, as much as I love doing this show, as much as I love the game show, it, it is stuff that I, I have so many reserves within myself of uh, enthusiasm and... Uh, energy for creating and those reserves get eaten away by my day job and just just by things that happen in life and I'm you know my life is by no means bad at all I am I am overall happy and satisfied uh, I'm very uh, fortunate and I also have made you know I, I I've made a number of poor decisions my day job being chief amongst those but I have also made a number of great decisions that have gotten me to to a uh, spot in life where I can enjoy certain things and and I do have you know I've got a wife and a son that I love very much like I'm so happy in so many ways and really only unfulfilled in one way but that unfulfillment is uh definitely a suck on my soul so I need that recharging. I need that happiness every once in a while. And, and talking to Miss Lady Flex and touring Adult Swim gave me that. So I'm I'm back on the creativity and fun express. Woo woo! Uh, and and doing stuff and and ready to go. I've got a script written out for something that we're doing, and uh, plans are commencing. So that that was good times. And even though I know she doesn't really listen to podcasts. Uh, thank you, Miss Lady Flex, for giving me that wonderfulness. And thank you to Mr. Lady Flex, I guess. Is that right? Uh, for the strong recommendation on Creep, a movie that I enjoyed very much and ordered from Amazon right after I watched it. So, today, 
after that somewhat lengthy intro that I, I knew was was going to be what it was because that, that was an important thing for me that experience. Oh, and I also wandered around and took some pictures outside. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad I thought of this. Okay, so I went and took some pictures outside because there's artwork all over the area surrounding Adult Swim as well, uh, and you can see those pictures on my Instagram at Phantom Troublemaker or. Uh, on Facebook, where I am L. Phantasmus, because they won't let me call myself Phantom Troublemaker. Uh, I didn't take any pictures inside, and on the one hand, I'm a little irritated with myself about that. And and Miss Lady Flex was clearly encouraging me, you know, at, at a couple of points, you know, if you want a picture of that, go ahead. Uh, but I, I didn't feel right to me. It felt like uh, a, a sort of church, and I don't mean that to be blasphemous, but it, it was kind of a sacred place for me. And I was there, and I felt lucky to be there, and I didn't want to just go throwing it all up over for the public to see, if that makes any sense. Like, it was very special that I was there, uh, and, and you know, if I visit again, maybe that effect will, will wash away or subside slightly, but it was powerful for me, you guys, and it, for some reason, felt slightly wrong to just stand around with my phone, like, oh, look at that, click, oh, oh that's neat, click, and then to put it up on the social media... I don't know. I, 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 it was something I wanted to be in the moment with, and, and I was. So, uh, very much like seeing Faith No More. Uh, I didn't want to think about, I need to take a picture and put it up. I just wanted to experience it as I was there. Uh, and I just made that connection that it was the same sort of thing. So that's what happened. And so I just took some pictures outside, uh, which was neat. So anyway, uh, that that was phenomenal. It was a lot of fun. And today's episode is, there's no segue for this, other than to say it's funny that I am exiting 31 Days of Halloween to talk about a documentary that is very much about horror movies. But it's also about fantasy and uh, science fiction and all kinds of wonderful things because... A gentleman named Daniel Griffith is on today, and this is actually a little tough for me because I went to high school with a girl named Danielle Griffith, so my brain kept wanting to say that. But Daniel uh, heads up Ballyhoo Motion Pictures, which you can find online, and he is working on a documentary called Celluloid Wizards in the Video Wasteland, the Saga of Empire Pictures. Now, I was not consciously aware of Empire Pictures until... I started talking to Daniel about doing this interview, but here's the deal. Empire Pictures is responsible for a massive chunk of the movies that formed who I am. And we are talking about things like The Dungeon Master with Richard Maul, Ghoulies, Reanimator, Trancers, Zone Troopers, uh, Crawl Space, Eliminators, From Beyond, Rawhead Rex, Troll, Terror Vision... The Collar, Dolls, I'm not even naming everything, I'm just going through the ones that I know I saw when I was a kid. This is all stuff that came out between like 1980 and 1990, because uh, Empire Pictures lasted about a decade, and put out some of the most groundbreaking and influential movies, for me anyway, that I'd ever seen. I mean, this this is cornerstone stuff, you guys. These are movies that very much shaped who I am and my taste in movies and, and things in general. Uh, so it blew my mind that I wasn't really aware of Empire Pictures before now. 
uh, I, I certainly am aware of the creators, Richard Band. Uh, Richard Band did a lot of the music. Charles Band, his brother, was the guy behind the company itself. And, you know, I, I certainly know their names, but wow, uh, this was huge. And I don't need to say much more about it because uh, everything I just said probably blew your mind if you are not already aware of Empire. Uh, and you're certainly aware of those movies. So hang in there. In just a second, I'm going to have a conversation with Daniel. It's a lot of fun. We focus mostly on the documentary and the process of the documentary. Uh, I would like to have him back again just to talk about Empire. But the point is, he's got a Kickstarter going right now, and he's trying to get his documentary paid for. And I understand that, because things cost money. Uh, this podcast and NeedlessThingsSite.com cost money. And if you guys want to help out, go to NeedlessThingsSite.com. There's a PayPal button on the right side of the page. And help me out, because... Uh, I hit a bump earlier in the month. We have gone over budget because apparently we are too popular for the amount of bandwidth that I am paying for with certain things, and I have exceeded the budget for the year. So I need all the help I can get. Uh, spread the word about the show. Help out. Uh, but uh, more more on that later. Right now, I don't want to sidetrack too much from the podcast, and, and I've already gone long in this intro. So uh, here is your musical selection which is a little piece from Richard Band. It is from the Empire Pictures film Reanimator. Enjoy. Guys, I'm really excited tonight. I am talking to someone who is pursuing probably one of the noblest things we've ever covered here on the podcast, and that is a documentary about Empire Pictures. Now, if you don't know, Empire Pictures is essentially a cornerstone of my youth and really who I am. They're the ones who put out Reanimator. Ghoulies, all right? Ghoulies, remember with the guy, little guy in the toilet on the cover? Trancers, Rawhead Rex, Troll, which Troll is particu uh, particularly special, and we'll talk about why in a minute. Uh, lots of incredible horror and genre stuff that shaped who I am today. And the gentleman we're talking to is Daniel Griffith of Ballyhoo Motion Pictures, who has a background in sort of film-related materials, but today you, you're here to talk about putting together a documentary about Empire. You've got a Kickstarter going, which I admire the heck out of. Uh, Daniel, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on, man. Well, it's a pleasure to be here, Phantom. And uh, I, I want to start, you know, you've got a background working with stuff like this, but I want to start kind of with your personal background in horror and how you got into doing what you're doing where what where where were your horror beginnings i mean i'm sure 
you know, depending on your age, probably the video store, like many of us. But where did you first uh, fall in love with the genre? Well, surprisingly, my first introduction to classic horror movies uh, was just local television network. They had Friday, Saturday night, late night, they would play uh, various different you know, B-horror movies. And I always loved staying up and trying to catch them. Often, I would fall asleep. You know, an hour or two before they actually came on. Sure, but but you know, luckily, you know, the screams and the howls from the movies would wake me up, and I would <laughs> I would sit there attentively uh, watching the different things play out. Uh, those memories really tie into a lot of my interest when it comes to classic horror movies, and certainly documenting classic B movies and cult films. Um, you know, which that would come later in my life, but also I was exposed to a lot of the more contemporary movies thanks to, you know, local mom and pop video store, which would allow me to rent whatever I wanted to. They, they never really, um, they never really censored or said, Hey, you're too young. You can't rent this rated R movie. Uh, they pretty much just let me, uh, rent whatever I wanted. So um, that was something that I was exposed to early on, and that did kind of flavor my interest in all things horror. Um, but you know, from that standpoint, I mean, a lot of things transpired that led to what I do now. Um, as far as doing documentaries, that would be you know supplemental features uh, for different DVD and Blu-ray releases. And it's funny you mentioned catching the stuff on TV because uh, Empire is responsible for a movie that I saw many, many times on USA Up all night, if you remember that one. Uh, these sorority babes in the Slimeball Bolorama, I think they played about once a month with yes. uh, either Gilbert Gottfried or Rhonda Shears hosting. And it, it's there's something about that late night viewing of the horror gym that makes it a little bit more special. Like you, you caught it, you know what I mean? Right. Yes. No, I, I agree. And, um, that, that's always something that was fascinating just about the video store experience. I mean, something that generations now, uh, that are just growing up into watching movies, uh, the accessibility of everything is fantastic. I mean, you, you could just tune in right now to a streaming site, Netflix or Vudu, or, and, and have access to a wealth of movies. But, you know, when I was a kid, uh, you know, you either had to stalk the, you know, the TV guide and, and make note of all the things you wanted to see and just make sure that you engineered your whole life and schedule based upon being able to watch that stuff. <laughs> or, or you, you know, you'd go to your local video store and, and um and you'd rent it and uh there there are titles that even now i mean i I think i've rented so often um you know that i could i mean i could have i could have paid for this documentary because i rented certain (laughs) movies that often um but it's that's kind of the charm of it um you know that idea of discovery by physically getting out there uh looking at a shelf that's just aligned with different titles each one seems appealing or not so appealing in one way or another um and being able to select take it home and watch it and either get excited or feel like you were cheated and <laughs> and then go 
you know, go to school like that, that next Monday and talk to all your friends about this, this movie that you were exposed to. I remember trying to explain to kids, uh, terror vision. Um, I just thought, you know, what a wild, wacky kind of movie. Um, and when you try to explain the plot of terror vision, even as an adult to another adult, um, it just seems preposterous. I mean, it just, there's, there's really no way to, to properly do justice to what you're seeing. And, um, and so there's the little things like that that really, you know, stayed with me. Well, and there's a greatness to, to that era, to the eighties era of movies in that we got a lot of stuff like that where you, it is tough to explain. It, it is this original, weird, unique material that we don't see nowadays. And, and I hate to sound like the cranky old man, but you know, going into the, I, I've talked time and again about the, you know, going into the video store and seeing the lurid box art, which that VHS box art is is a sadly lost art. Um, but I'm glad you brought up the TV guide because I I hadn't thought about that in years. But every week I would sit down with the TV listings from the newspaper and do exactly what you said. I would like make my schedule out of this is when this is on and I have to be there to watch it then. Or, you know, eventually got to the point where you figured out how to work a VCR timer, but you couldn't just sit down and stream it on Netflix. No, no, you, you, you couldn't. And, and, and I think that in, in certain ways I'm envious of today's generation and, and in other ways I feel like, I mean, I, I was a child at that prime time where, um, you know, video stores and just the idea of the, the home video revolution was, you know, coming into fold. And, you know, this is before, you know, big corporation stores like Blockbuster uh, started populating most of the, um, you know, most of the suburban areas. I mean, it was, it was, it was cool to me because they were, in my in the town that I grew up in, which was a pretty small town, uh, uh, they had maybe three kind of mom and pop type video stores, and then one one video store that surprisingly was inside of a gas station. Oh yeah, uh, it was yeah. just sort of like uh, they had these little spindle racks um, of movies that you could rent there, and and uh, people would always talk about how great it was to rent stuff there because it was cheaper than anywhere else it was like 99 cents you know yep. and um uh so there was something kind of bizarre about that but but there were there were three that were in my small town and uh, one of them was my favorite and the one i frequented all the time um except for except for and this is a side story but the there was a store called video park and um uh, they are the only they were the only store in town that had a copy of the original Evil Dead, huh. and so so I would rent that copy. It was almost like I would just go to this video park just to rent the one VHS copy of uh, Evil Dead. And I guarantee you, if you could if you could log in or pull up the records for my rental activity at Video Park, it would be ninety nine percent. You know, he rented Evil Dead. Um, so. Oh, I totally understand that because uh, the the movie store that I frequented the most only had Evil Dead Two, uh, <laughs> the old clear plastic case version 
uh, from Elite Video or whatever it was at the time, which I, you know, actually I think Elite was the first one. But anyway, uh, and I didn't see the first Evil Dead for years. Uh, I, I honestly, we, we just did a show about Evil Dead and I could not remember when I finally f- saw the first Evil Dead. I only know that I saw the second one first and was confused because the second one has so many comedic elements and the first one is a straight horror movie. But, uh, yeah, it was just the magic of going to the store, picking out your item, and it was discovery, which was, which is kind of lost now. Like, there's nothing to pressing a button and watching a movie, and, and, and there's no obligation either. Like, right. back then, you took that thing home, and you're like, I don't care how bad it is, I'm gonna sit here and watch all 90 minutes of it, cause I paid, you know, a dollar, three bucks, whatever, to see it. Now, you're like, eh, I've got better stuff to do here at the house. You know, the, we, we've lost some of those elements. I, I agree. Yes, um, and and I I think for the most part, uh, today's generation of of horror fans, I mean, they are pretty savvy. They they they're still they're still interested in the things that I was interested in when I was a kid um, that I kind of thought were novelty. I mean, those things have still sort of rang true, and they've been passed from you know one generation to another. Uh, like Evil Dead, I mean, I think that yeah, it's, a, it's a really great example of the types of movies, and certainly the movies that populate the world of Empire Pictures are all um, in that same boat. You know, there's there's generations of people that were exposed to them, whether they were, you know, whether they were, you know, between five and ten years old, or they were in their early teens, or they were actually in their their teens, you know, taking dates out to the drive-in or whatever. Um, you know, they've been passing those films down and exposing, you know, their kids and their kids' friends, uh, to the films. And now those, you know, kids and friends are having kids and are exposing to those. So it's, it's interesting to see how a lot of these films have kind of carried on. Um, and, you know, even adding to that, uh, I've witnessed when I do different conventions or different film festivals that there are a lot of younger people that are talking about films that date back much earlier than the late seventies, early eighties, um, movies that were made in, you know, the forties and the fifties. And so it's really kind of a cool time that everything is accessible. People are discovering them. And, and in certain ways, I think they're being a bit more adventurous than, than my generation was when I was trying to show to try to convince kids in my generation, hey, come over Friday night, uh, let's you know let's watch House on Haunted Hill. Um, you know they would get bored. Um, you know it's black and white. It, it's a little it's a little I think intentionally tedious at the beginning, but I, I love it. I've always loved the film and trying to get kids my age to kind of gather around and watch this and really get excited about it like I did um, was really complicated but now I see little kids that come up and you know they'll talk about their favorite movies and it would be something like you know House on Haunted Hill or something like The Tingler or it'll be you know something uh, you know more in the uh, classic universal catalog of you know it's just it's just kind of fascinating that you would have a little a child coming up and saying, I, I love Bride of Frankenstein and, and, you know, quote a line or something. 
Uh, so it's, it's a little different. I think having that accessibility is, has really made the horror culture, um, I would say rich and certainly uh, much more aware. Uh, however, I mean, there are, there are some downsides to that too. And, um, but we won't get into that here. <laughs> well, and I, I think that is one of the things that's kind of special about genre is it does, you know, it's got hooks. It's got hooks better than drama does or, or, or even comedy really. Uh, my, I, I, that's where Troll comes in is we were cruising through Netflix the other day and I first saw Troll when I was about 10 years old and my mom went to, uh, Turtles and rented right. it because somebody had mistakenly put it in the kids section and granted, you know, by this time in my life, I've seen much more horrifying things than anything that happened in Troll. But at 10 years old, uh, I hadn't really dipped into horror a whole lot yet. And that movie scared the shit out of me. Uh, recently, sitting, cruising through Netflix with my son, who is eight, and he saw it was the, the deal where they have the sort of motion menu where you see scenes from the film flash by. And he's like, what is that? I was like, oh, that's Troll. You don't watch that. Yes, I do. I was like, no, <laughs> seriously. I watched it when I was two years older than you. You don't want to watch that. And he's like, daddy, we can watch it. And if I get too scared, we can turn it off. And his mom wasn't home. So I was like, all right, let's do it. Let's hit play. We watched that whole movie. He loved it. I was like, you right. are. I was like, you are much tougher than I am, my son. <laughs> I have done my job well. Uh, but he loved it, and he's watched Creature from the Black Lagoon. He loves that. It's a little tough convincing him to watch black and white stuff. Uh, like you said, the black and white is a deal breaker for some people. Right. But uh, just horror is one of those things that you, you, you love it or you don't, and if you love it, I think you want to investigate back to the roots which is exactly what you do with the documentaries that you put together. But before we get to those, I want to talk a little bit about how you got to the point where, because you've done special features for Legendary. Uh, you've done stuff with Shout Factory and Scream Factory, which are a modern-day Anchor Bay, if that makes sense. Right. Oh, no, no. Because uh, we, we were discussing on the Evil Dead show that when Anchor Bay started putting all that stuff out on VHS, that was a revolution. Oh, very much. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I... I I was I I think that when they announced that they put out uh, Evil Dead and Evil Dead Two, I mean I was just so excited because now um, you know that that copy I didn't return to the video store um, right. that that is really worn. Uh, you know now I could replace it with a a better transfer version. I mean I loved Anchor Bay when they showed up on the scene. Oh my gosh! And and, and they not only not only just with something like that. But I mean, they were releasing a lot of a lot of titles, um, like some Hammer titles that uh, that I hadn't even been able to access, and yeah. now you know these things are available. And um, and I was very interested in Hammer as a kid, and um, I, so it was just you know here's Anchor Bay, here are all these great titles, and it's like thank you, thank you very much. This is this is a godsend. Well, but, um, to me, the two revolutionary uh, companies. Uh, for VHS in my youth were Anchor Bay for putting out all those great old horror movies that, you know, the, the video store rented or sometimes didn't even have, uh, and Full Moon for putting together the very first special features that I'd ever seen in my life. 
Right. If you watched a Full Moon VHS at the end, they had, you know, the tour of Full Moon Studios or behind the scenes of subspecies or whatever the case may be. I mean, that stuff was incredible. No, and and this is the thing that that I, I think for the most part, with renting the Empire movies, along with the slew of movies that I would rent all the time when I would go to the video store, um, when Full Moon started showing up on the scene, which was almost directly after the end of the Empire era, um, you know, I, I became really, I guess, impressed with the process of making a movie because it seemed it seemed kind of streamlined in a certain way when you're watching those video zones, which are kind of were really the equivalent of a a bonus feature at that you would find in a, on a Blu-ray or DVD today. But those video zones, uh, I mean, it's like, who are these people? These people are awesome. I want, I want to know what these people are doing. I want to, yes. I want to, I want to learn this process. I want to make these movies. Um, now, I mean, I, to say that I wanted to make a full moon movie might, might be going too far, but, but, but just these guys are creative and they have these wild imaginations and they're, they're putting together these really fascinating things. It's all organic. It's, it's, um, it, it's, it's, it's pretty impressive. And, you know, I guess as a, as a child looking at that, that was along with the, the behind the scenes shorts that were created for, uh, different major studio releases, um, I mean, there were, there were things that were, you know, shot and, and edited and, and created as promos, you know, dating back to like the late sixties, um, uh, where you would get this idea of like the behind the scenes, you know, story, making a certain movie, interviews with different cast members talking about the reasons they're making it or their experiences or what they're trying to accomplish. Um, I mean, it, I just finished a, a feature length documentary about American International Pictures. Uh, which comes out in the Mystery Science Theater box set that streets in December. And um, in that, I mean, you know, American International hired a company to create these these EPK, these electronic press kit type um, shorts. And they would delve into the making of different movies. This same company they utilize would, would create a featurette that would be for Westworld. That if you bought the DVD or Blu-ray, you would see this featurette. It's the same company did that. Um, but they were they were doing all these different uh, featurettes, and so the combination of the video zones and watching those featurettes that were done for these different movies um, really, I, I would say, influenced my decision to be a filmmaker. I mean, I had always been interested in it. That's always been what I wanted to do dating back from from elementary school but but I think seeing the process really helped me understand this is how you do it these right, are right. these are this is the the gear that you need this is the type of you know creative team that you have to assemble um, in order to realize these visions and and so I just always thought that was neat. Okay, let me ask you this, because uh, very few people that I've met remember this. One of my favorite shows when I was a kid was on Nickelodeon. It was hosted by Leonard Nimoy, and it was called Lights, Camera, Action. 
and each episode was an hour-long, behind-the-scenes look at a Hollywood movie that was currently in production. And they did Octopussy, they did Star Trek III, um, I think there was one on Star Wars, uh, or uh, Return of the Jedi. Uh, it was right around 83, 84. Dude, it was fantastic, and I have run into so few people that remember this show, there's not much about it online. Like you can basically find like an IMDB listing that says this show existed and that's it. And for (laughs) me, it, that was my first exposure to what you're talking about, like how this stuff gets made. And it fascinated me. And, And again, because it was genre stuff that I was into at that age, uh, but not a lot of people remember this show. And it's very interesting to me that it, I mean, it's, you know, it's Leonard Nimoy and it's these huge movies but there's just not much about it out there. And that's fascinating. Yeah, I've never, you know, I, I I jumped into the the Nickelodeon phase really early on, uh, thanks to my grandparents having a really amazing cable package, and um, and so I did watch a lot of early Nickelodeon. I was never exposed to that though. And I, if I was, I would certainly remember it. <laughs> yeah, right, right, exactly. And that's the thing is I figure it must have come on at like a weird time or I, I, whatever the case may be because yes, anybody who had seen it would for sure remember it because these were the right. big releases of the time, you know, back when we had one blockbuster per year or, or you know, I mean, this was, this was early eighties stuff, but anyway, yeah, that's check it out. Look it up online sometime. And, <laughs> and, uh, it's, it's an interesting pursuit. Every once in a while, I'll kind of poke around and look for it. So you are now in this business yourself of putting together features about how things get made and uh, wh- how did this come about and how did you find out that's something you wanted to do? Um, well, Okay, it's kind of a long story, but the the idea of the idea really became. Uh, let's see the best way to say this. Um, I always wanted to tell stories, and I was I was writing scripts. I'd submitted scripts to different uh, competitions, and um, would register different scripts, and and I started thinking, well, I really don't want to be a writer. I I really want to. Um, visually tell stories. It doesn't have to be based upon anything that I've written. It's just, I just want to get out there and get my, my hands dirty. And, um, you start to realize that on an independent level or even below independent level, when you're just getting your friends together to just experiment and make stuff, um, it was always complicated. It was always complicated because you had to depend upon people that really aren't being paid for their time. Right. You know, and, and sometimes they don't share the same enthusiasm for the idea of making a movie as you do. Um, they're just not invested in it. So uh, you end up being the person that shows up on location by yourself yeah. or with that one, you know, very devoted best friend who's just going to walk through fire with you. Um, but that's it. And so I thought, well, you know, there's got to be a way for me to do this without depending on people um you know i I could depend on people to be in front of the camera but not necessarily depend upon a crew of people Mm -hmm. and i've always been fascinated with documentaries i was always fascinated with film history so i thought well yeah i'm gonna pick a subject matter that i feel like it really needs to be explored something obscured something that's neglected but yet is very colorful and interesting and if if 
engineered the right way, the story would fascinate people regardless of their interest in the subject matter. So I immediately thought of a, a personality that, that has haunted me and has intrigued me equally all of my life. And that was a, a showman by the name of Kay Gordon Murray. And, and so I, I started think, thinking, well, who is this guy? Um, you know, where is he from? Why did he, why did he distribute these weird, wacky, you know, Mexican fairy tale films and, and, and these Mexican horror films and, oh, he made some, you know, exploitation fair that he produced outside of Miami and released in drive-ins and, um, but who is this guy? You know, you know, what's his story? And, and so I started reaching out to people and, you know, connecting with people that knew him and, and on my own time, uh, you know, traveling to different locations and just filming interviews. And through that process, I had met a film director, William Griffey, who is based out of Miami and made films uh, in the late 50s and the 60s and the 70s and so forth. Um, I, I met with him and he had a connection to the Kate Gordon Murray story and so I interviewed him. And then I just started talking to him about his career and a job came up where I would I could do a documentary about one of his movies for a company that now no longer exists called BCI Eclipse and the the the, the title was Stanley. It's a 1972 film that is kind of playing off of the coat uh, I would say the success of of Willard um is really what led to the film being made. It's basically Willard except instead of a you know, a pet rat named Willard, it's it's a snake named Stanley. Okay. And okay. so uh so I, I did this one hour documentary for this company. Simultaneously Shout Factory, who had just acquired Mystery Science Theater, um and really Shout Factory was just kind of in their infancy. They were kind of figuring themselves out. Um they they contacted me because they read about me doing this K. Gordon Murray project, and they were about to to distribute a box set that had K. Gordon Murray Santa Claus, but the MST episode of the movie, and and they asked me if I had anything or if I could do anything uh, for that release. I had always been a fan of Mystery Science Theater, and the Santa Claus episode was actually the first. Well. It and Deathstalker three were the were the first two episodes that I was exposed to, and um, and so they they kind of have a special place in my heart. K. Gordon Murray Santa Claus, even dating back before I discovered Mister Science, but um, uh, they wanted this feature at uh, something about the making of it, and and that was all they told me. And so I created this featurette that I called uh, Santa Claus versus the Devil, and. <laughs> Uh, and it kind of goes into this detail about the film, uh, the making of the film and, uh, the cultural significance of the film or lack thereof. And, <laughs> um, and, and it, it premiered on the set and Mr. Science Theater fans really responded to it. They, they were interested in the idea of, you know, doing some kind of making of documentary 
for movies that would never get a special edition DVD, you know. Uh, well, and that's it's a, <laughs> it's a great concept because you know we we all love MST3K, and it's so much fun to sit there and watch what they do. But I always felt myself, at, you know, back when it was televised, at the end of the show, I always felt myself wondering, like, how did that movie happen? Where did that come from? Like, right. I, I, I wanted to know more about the feature itself. Right. And, and that was something that was just really right up my alley. I mean, I, I always, even to this day, I still have this special place in my heart for that outcast, that, that, um, that misunderstood film. Mm. Uh, and I try to champion them when I can. Uh, Mystery Science is littered with them. You know, not to say that a good percentage of Mystery Science Theater movies are uh, kind of a quote unquote stinker. Sure. But, but, but there are a lot of movies in there that I, I think are really just very much misunderstood. There is a, um, there is a horror host uh, named Mr. Lobo that I, I'm friends with, and he, he, he's, I've interviewed him for a few projects for Mystery Science, and um, he, always, he always tells me this little, um, this little slogan that he uses, and it's like, um, you know, they're not just bad movies, they're misunderstood. Um, uh, so I, I think that from that standpoint, carrying that theme into creating documentaries about the movies themselves being riffed on Mystery Science, that I think it allows people a different perspective. They come to an understanding as, well, okay, this movie's bad, sure, but what really happened? You know, what made that movie not work? And, um, and more often than you think, when you get into the behind-the-scenes story, when you dig deep into the root of that film, you end up seeing that, well, you know, actually... Now that I understand the circumstances, the movie isn't as bad as I thought. Um, and and I, I, I find that fascinating. So many people end up, you know, watching something and then coming back and going, you know, I, I have a greater appreciation for this movie thanks to this documentary. And, um, and so then that's really great. Sometimes I'll create something, though, that people come up to me and they'll say, your documentary is, you know, a million times better than watching the movie. So, um, well, and that so. can be the case sometimes. I mean, when you when you get a team uh, or an individual that cares about something, and this is whether it's a documentary or a film or whatever the case may be, uh, you know, that shows through. And my my example, documentary wise, of that is I've watched uh, the Lord of the Rings documentaries. Right. A lot more than I've watched the movies. Right. Because that stuff uh, is it just inherently more fascinating to me. I, I love seeing how they came up with ideas. And this goes from anything to, you know, something where it's purely Evil Dead, where they did everything themselves, to big budget, massive effects things. I just like seeing how they figure things out, how they struggle with problems, and, and how they make it work. Because making a movie is basically an impossible proposition. Right. Everything is going against you, and I love seeing behind the scenes on that stuff. Well, and just to be fair, you know, so we're talking about Peter Jackson and, you know, the wealth of resources. Not only is Peter Jackson a talented filmmaker and a talented storyteller, 
Uh, but I mean, you know, he does have this, you know, just the incredible access to some of the best artisans, some of the best actors, you know, it's just, it is, it, everything works in tandem and, and, it, and it creates a uh, superior product. Um, but if you look at someone like, say, Ed Wood, um, I still think Ed Wood is a great filmmaker. For now, sure. he's not, he's not a great filmmaker in the sense that we understand, like, just, you know, okay, so, his movies don't quite make sense to us or they're a bit of a bore. Um, but from a standpoint of just what it takes to make a movie, to complete a movie and it be released, especially in the time period that he was operating. I mean, that takes a special kind of genius. And, um, um, and yes, you know, you can, you can quote me. Daniel Griffith says, Ed Wood was a special kind of genius. Um, <laughs> well, it was but, passion. I mean, yeah. passion shows through, certainly with Ed Wood. That one of my sort of, uh, you said you champion uh, movies when you find them. And there's a movie called Things that was made by some Canadian guys. And it's literally the worst movie I've ever seen. But these guys wanted to make this movie and they did it. And because of that, and that's a lot of MST3K stuff falls under this category. It didn't work. It's not great. But you can see their love in every frame. And right. that counts for a lot to me. Yeah, and and, and, that's, and that's kind of what I see in a lot of the films that are riffed on Mystery Science. I mean, there there is... There is passion. There is a determination to do something great. No one sets out to make a bad movie. I mean, n- nowadays people may do so, but but at that time, no one was like, "I'm going to make the worst movie ever made." Right. I mean, these people are, you know, they're they're they may not be pioneers, but they are explorers. I mean, they they are people that are driven by a a passion and a desire and they're trying to create something out of nothing um to somehow visualize the pictures in their head and put them to motion and hopefully entertain people and and i mean there's something there's something admirable about that and um uh so i'm more often than not uh, i i'll be a person that that appreciates some of these films that are misunderstood. Um, and you know, Mr. Science gives me an opportunity to explore some of those films or explore the filmmakers or the film distributors. Um, I did a, a documentary about Robert Lippert, um, which was more of a distributor. The AIP documentary that's coming out is very much about a company. Um, you know, So, I mean, I would tap into uh, different aspects, not just the film, but maybe the people that were involved with the film uh, being released. So you've got, at this point, a good amount of experience with doing research, with doing interviews, with putting things together uh, in a palatable way for people. Uh, You've got a Kickstarter. Uh, If the listeners want to go to Kickstarter, look for Celluloid Wizards in the Video Wasteland. This is the story of Empire Pictures. How did this thing come together for you? Well, I have always been interested in Empire Pictures, um, dating back to the, the same time we were talking about of you know going to a local video store 
um, one of the things I would always do just because I had the time uh, was I'd hang out at the video store and connect names and, and, and companies to different movies. And as I would rent certain movies, certain company names would stand out. And the unique thing about Empire, just like you would say the unique thing about Full Moon, was that you know Charles Band was a genius at branding. You know he created this identity for himself, and certainly an identity for his company. You knew the product because this was the product they released. I mean, you know, they're 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 fantasy films. I mean, we look at them as horror, but really, I mean, they're all fantasy. Um, yeah. They're all complete fantasy. Some are a fantasy that deals with you know fear uh some of them deal with science fiction or some of them deal with magic um but it's really a fantastical realm that uh charles band and certainly empire at that time you know would inhabit and with with the story of empire something that stood out to me is that he was really aiming higher than the growing video market. The growing video market was a catalyst, but he was really wanting to create a mini major, you know, a company that was able to distribute films to theaters. Um, you know, the problem is, is that that business dynamic is costly. And at the end of the day, you realize that you're making all your money off of your, your, VHS commitments. Sure. So, but by renting movies like Ghoulies and Troll and Reanimator and and one important one to me has always been Eliminators. I I always loved Eliminators, and um, you know I actually actually owe the video store that I <laughs> that I would rent rent that movie from all the time. I I owe them the movie because I. I eventually just never returned it. And so <laughs> just so I could have my own copy. But um but that that movie was very important to me. And so as I started getting more involved with doing documentaries, I started thinking about, you know, hey, I'm doing documentaries about movies that were released in my my like parents generation or my grandparents generation. Um, however, I'm not making documentaries about movies that were released during my childhood. And so I, I didn't really explore my childhood's B-movies, my childhood's drive-in fare. So I, I started thinking about, well, you know, how would I tell that story and what company would kind of be the foundation of that story? And, and, and it turned out that I thought, well, Empire. Empire is perfect. You know, it, it's got everything that I want. It's really, you know, American international of the eighties, just not quite, not, not quite as successful. Right. Um, but, but they had kind of that same dynamic. They knew, they knew their core audience and, and they went right for them. They didn't try to dance around. They went straight for that audience and tried to deliver exactly what, what they demanded. And, um, um, I think with, the story of empire it was just that opportunity to be able to tell um the sort of rise and fall saga of of a company that is 
you know, sort of struggling with a, with a business plan that is right up against this growing video revolution. And, um, you know, luckily with the story of empire, I mean, everything is, everything is just, just wildly imaginative. Everything about empire, whether or not you like the movies, um, you can't just, you know, dismiss the fact that, I mean, the, these movies are nuts. I mean, they, they're this colorful array of, of, you know, cyborgs and, and, you know, magical wizards and stop motion from a, a brilliant stop motion effects person. I mean, uh, you know, David Allen is just a genius. And, and, you know, combining all these other factors of, of gore and, you know, what, what can you do with effects to amplify those scares? And, um, so you end up having movies that, are really, you know, or are, are, are I would say more inventive than the movies of that same ilk that were being distributed by, you know, major studios. Well, what's interesting to me is, you know, when I, when my lovely co-host, Mr. Bo Brown first connected us, I started looking into Empire because I, I didn't off the top of my head know the name. Uh, Full Moon is name brand to me. Like, Big time, you know, obviously no full moon, uh, and Charles Band, who I have always been, and, and maybe I'm comparing apples and oranges, uh, I've always been a little confused as to why Charles Band doesn't have the same kind of name recognition as a Lloyd Kaufman, and I love Troma, I love what Lloyd Kaufman does, but to me, Charles Band was kind of my guy. Right. Um, but in going back and doing research, which I never do, but I was like, okay, as soon as I saw Ghoulies uh, on on the Empire resume, I was like, okay, I need to check this out. And it's it's an incredible list of movies, you know, most of which I've seen, but a huge variety of subject matter. The Dungeon Master with Richard Maul, which I know I saw on TBS several times. Uh, fantasy, total fantasy movie. It has horror elements. But like you said, so many of these are really fantasy movies, but they're science fiction. They're, I mean, it's a broad range of genre subject matter. And once you look at this list of productions, they all come together. Okay, I see, I see how Reanimator and Troll came from the same place. I see how Rawhead Rex and even Robot Jocks. Uh, which, by the way, on a recent podcast, I did say that Robot Jocks was a better movie than any of Michael Bay's Transformers movies. <laughs> um, but you, you, you can put them together. You can see the production similarities and the narrative themes and like how it all, like, oh, this totally makes sense. All this stuff that I love is from the same people. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and I think with, with most of the Empire titles, um, and it certainly it was an element that attracted me as far as telling the overall story um, is that there really were a lot of just brilliant, creative individuals that worked with the company and it would go on and flourish on their own. But I mean, it's just this this ensemble of, um, you know, just brilliant filmmakers amazing special effects technicians uh, some really great writers um and 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 <laughs> i would say some iconic actors that would pop in and out of these films um 
I mean, it, it's it's really it's really an interesting mix of of just this horror fantasy landscape uh, and the personality of the '80s, something that just represents that era. Mm-hmm. Um, you think of Empire. If you don't remember Empire as a company, if you name a movie, you immediately go to the '80s. I yeah. mean, you don't, you don't. There's no confusion as well, when was that released? Right. That was. I mean, it, it, it's it feels '80s. You know, it's '80s. When we watch the movies, they feel '80s um, in kind of a, a an alien sort of removed kind of way. In certain cases, uh, television, for instance, it it seems like like Italy's answer to the eighties teenager or something like that. But there, there, there are aspects of that that just seem a little, um, just a little off kilter, but, but the, the overall empire story, um, it, it was really fascinating because it's not just a Charles band story. It really is the story of all these different artisans and how they all came together and, and made movies and, and kind of learned their craft making movies you know, under Charles Band's guidance, and um, and I mean, I think that's brilliant. And, and and to say, for the most part, Charles Band, I mean, he really was a person that just kind of let these people, you know, do their thing. I mean, you know, he he respected their talents and kind of let them go crazy with it. Um, I think at the end of the day, Charles Band would have rather just been a director um, when he started a company. I mean, he really had to change into uh, more of a, a studio head. He was more of an executive, and it was all business and making deals. And I think that is an element that led to the fall of the company. Um, I mean, there's 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 all these different things that tie together, and that's and that was that was the other aspect of the story that attracted me is I, I wanted to dramatically sort of recreate the narrative of what happened to Empire, utilizing all of these different interviews and weaving them together so people could understand all the triumph that was the company in its early in its early years, which is a very short time frame, but its early years, and that you could see you know what I wouldn't say necessarily what mistakes, but certainly from Charles Band's perspective and just from a business perspective, um, I mean there were there were decisions that were made that would ultimately plant the seed of what would be to come, and that was a um, you know a company basically being seized by the banks and being um, you know relinquished uh from the control of charles band well and it's you know it's the story of so many companies from the 80s and even the early 90s that you know that their their star their star shone bright glad i was able to get that out uh for a certain amount of time and it seems like a lot of those things were almost too special to last and and if they had lasted you know, maybe they wouldn't have kept that specialness. Maybe it was something that was sort of destined to be that moment in time. 
you know, what, what would it have been if it had lasted beyond the early nineties? And, you know, we'll never know, but it'll be interesting to take a look at that. So on that note, where are you with celluloid wizards of the video waste in the video wasteland? <laughs> it's uh, a mouthful. Actually, you know, I, I tell you about the title. It's funny. Um, I had a hard time settling on what I was going to call this documentary. And so I created kind of a dummy title. I created like, this is my shooting title. This is not the title I'm going to use. Right. This is the title that is just going to be a fun title that is almost a, a send up of, of, you know, you know, sorority babes and the slime marble right, right. drama or, you know, you know, slave girls and beyond infinity and things like, I mean, all these different movies that had these, um, these just amazingly like exaggerated titles that are very descriptive and colorful, but yet the title is much more interesting or bigger than, you know, what would ultimately end up on screen. Well, um, and it, it is it, perfect it, though. I mean, it's uh, a perfect but it, it's, title. It's great. And really with sorority babes, I mean, the, the charm is the title. The title gets you there, but you end up watching sorority babes and it's a very fun movie. Yeah. So, um, uh, but, you know, I thought, well, I'm going to create a title that's kind of this. So it's going to be self-explanatory. It's just going to kind of lay it out on the line. And and um, and I thought, well, I, I really was hung up on this idea of using wizard in the title. And because the the documentary also covers Charles Band's early life, uh, really leading up to and the creation of uh, Empire, but certainly touching upon... Um, you know, the Wizard Video era, the Wizard Games, touching on the movies he made before Empire, like, you know, the movies that he would produce, such as uh, Tourist Trap, or movies like Crash, or movies like Mansion of the Doomed, um, and then, you know, certainly dealing with movies like Metal Storm and Parasite, which was one of the first movies Demi Moore was in. Um, but it would also delve with all these other colorful things that you know charles band would be involved in i mean he, he did so many little things and even he was even a, a massive collector of things like comics and stuff like that it's just a, it just it was an impressive individual at the time and you know still is i mean he's he's basically the same person as he was uh during the time of empire he's got that same personality it's just it's um you know he's just this uh, never, I would say never aging, uh, you know, kid. He's just, he's, he's just impressive. But, um, uh, but I, I, I thought, well, Wizard had to be in the title. And then, you know, we're dealing with movies. I, w- I wanted this to be about the movies, um, that these were movies made for theaters, not direct video fair like Full Moon would end up being. Um, so, Celluloid Wizards. And I thought, well, Video Wasteland, that was that, that clash between the two concepts was really the heart of the story you know we're making movies for theaters in a time when people for low budget be fair we're making movies directly for the vhs market so um so from that standpoint i really love that title um where i am on the documentary now uh is really right at the beginning of the post-production process uh, still collecting material, still uncovering archival elements, um, certainly coming across really rare, uh, you know, VHS behind the scenes footage that was shot on someone's camera, you know, on, on the set or, uh, in the creature shops. 
and certainly a lot of behind the scenes photographs and a lot of rare promos, different things like that, that were created specifically for empire. Um, but I'm still, I'm still in the process of tracking the rest of that down. Um, if the Kickstarter is successful and, and I, I'm hoping that it will be, I'm hoping that, um, uh, fans will continue to support, uh, the project. Um, I hope to complete the documentary and get it into festivals uh, at the beginning of the year. So by the end of January, I would lock in the festival cut and start submitting it into bigger festivals, which bigger festivals already expressed a lot of interest in it. So um, uh, getting it out there and you know, letting it do the rounds in the festivals, maybe tour some some art house theaters and revival theaters, and then uh, hopefully by fall or certainly by the holiday of next year it would be available in a you know dvd blu-ray uh format um as a matter of fact uh if people go to the kickstarter campaign you have a unique opportunity to have a um a a really uh, impressive time capsule of the documentary and that is a um, big box vhs copy of the documentary which will also include the blu-ray dvd combo and some other goodies some you know retro buttons and things like that but it's all in one big box which was uh, uh what wizard video kind of prided themselves in these big box vhs boxes so it's the same dimensions same dynamic it even resembles the wizard video big boxes but um but i'm creating a limited edition, just limited to 150 signed and uh, numbered uh, little collector edition things, just so I could appease that little part of me that would love to see a documentary be contained on VHS in a big box, so um, so people would be able to uh, to pledge and and have that you know as a part of their collection. Well, and that's I'm I'm looking at the box, the mock-up right here on the Kickstarter. It's gorgeous box art. I love the idea of the Blu-ray, the DVD, and the VHS all put in one of these classic big boxes. Uh, you've got some really good rewards on this thing. Uh, I'd love that the ba- to me the base level of a Kickstarter is always whatever gets you the product. And for forty bucks, you get the documentary. And to me, that's that's a sell. I mean, that's that's a done deal. But you've got so much more than that. Once you go up some levels, you've got some great memorabilia. You've got a sorority babes reward, which right. is awesome. <laughs> uh, tons of stuff on here that's that's all really good. And then, of course, you've got the base level too, which is you know, pitch in five bucks if you can. Uh, that's right. I, I love the Kickstarter format, and I'm glad that. Uh, you know, something like this is viable due to Kickstarter because otherwise we wouldn't get this story. Well, and, and just, just to add the idea of Kickstarter is really to be able to support and help people create the end game, the end product. Um, and, and so you're getting, you're getting rewards for your contribution. You're, you're, you're helping someone out. You're helping someone realize a vision and, and I think that's something that's really great uh, about the platform of Kickstarter is uh, so many people have you know novel ideas. They they have they have something that's been kind of cooking in their head for years, and and really there's a lot of people that would be interested in seeing what that is and how that transpires. And and um, I was reluctant to 
to do crowdfunding for this project because I naively thought that I could on my own in between other documentary jobs uh, gather all the material I need. But the, the, the documentary really did grow beyond my means. And, um, and now it's kind of like I don't want to dishonor the project by, by just sort of cheaping it at the end. I mean, I, I'm like, well, if I do this, you know, I want to have Richard Band doing an orchestra, an orchestrated score. And so, um, so that, that has to be it. So, um, and then you start thinking about, well, the campaigns, then you start thinking about, um, other things that, you know, you've got access to 35 millimeter film elements that you would want to have transferred that you could utilize. And, and, um, and so you started thinking, well, a lot of this is going to cost more than, than I can ma- maintain on my own right. if I wanted to get this out, you know, soon. Uh, if I wanted to just keep working on this for another five or ten years, sure, eventually I'll get it out there. But um, but I kind of felt like this was the right time. This is the this is the right opportunity for for this documentary and for people to discover this story. And so you know, people that are supporting this through Kickstarter ultimately they are they are supporting the project they're supporting um they're supporting this this one story that is larger than life and it gives people the opportunity to also be a part of it um i i'm a very great gracious person when it comes to uh to fans and people that that step up and help help make things possible to help realize uh different dreams and goals and um uh and i i I wanted everyone to have their name on it i wanted everyone to feel like they were a part of it so that's why even at the five dollar level you mean you're getting your name in this specially reserved special thanks you know section um all the kickstarter uh backers they all get their name in this and um i wanted them to be a part of the history of this documentary um that they they play this role now and um and that's important to me and and i know that it's important to fans of the empire story and fans of just 80s nostalgia in general so um so yeah so the rewards are created for for different um for different reasons but um, ultimately, in, in the end, I just wanted to create a lot of fun stuff that would take people back to an era that I loved and an era that I appreciated. And I just wanted to kind of share with them uh, all of that that pop culture, you know, nostalgia. So. Before we wrap up, I want to ask uh, sort of an adventure question, I guess, because tracking this stuff down you know looking for these resources talking to people finding old clips like you said somebody's vhs recording that they happen to make behind the scenes of a movie uh how does that work man i mean what what is the process of hunting this stuff down it's got to be very time intensive it's got to be do a certain (laughs) amount travel intensive i mean yeah yeah well it's you have to you have to be adventurous you have to be patient and um and it really just comes down to timing and luck um i mean it's kind of, imagine imagine the world of a real archaeologist not the world of Vinnie Jones right. but a real archaeologist uh you know 
they spend their whole life researching something, they'll never come as close to the real history as Indiana Jones does in a typical, you know, a typical outing. I mean, he, you know, he's, I'm going to make a trip over to, you know, Peru or Nepal and, and here I am, I'm getting this. Uh, I mean, that would never happen to a real archaeologist. They spend their whole life, you know, hanging around in a library. Um, but, you know, occasionally you know, everything lines up and, uh, they're able to really touch a piece of history. And I think that does happen in doing documentaries. You have to keep digging. You have to be patient and persistent and, uh, um, and, you know, just trust that, that what you're doing, it's all going to add up to something spectacular. And, and you're going to, you're really going to touch a fan out there. You're going to expose them to something that they never knew and they thought they knew everything. And, and the magic of that moment where, you know, they're surprised or shocked by, by what you've, you're able to deliver. I mean, that, that's really, I mean, that's really a, the driving force for doing these kind of things. I've got to imagine that finally sort of coming upon that, that element, whatever it may be, whether it's an interview or whatever, it has got to be pretty incomparable. Like the feeling you get from that, like, Oh, I, I found it. Here's the person or here's the thing. It's, it's exists. Well, I, nobody's seen this. I'll give you an example. Um, I, writers, Danny Bilson and Paul DeMeo, who, um, are, are serving as, um, you know, they're serving as executive producers, uh, for the documentary. Uh, you know, they, they spent a lot of time with Empire. I mean, they were kind of like the staff writers, if you will. And, you know, I, I went over to his house on one trip out to LA and, and they, they were cleaning out their storage and they were about to throw away stuff. And, and, um, uh, he had, he had said, um, you know, do you, do you want any of this? And I'm like, of course I started digging through his trash can, pulling out like scripts and stuff. Um, but one of the things that they had that were they were get rid of was the the bug head for zone troopers. Oh my gosh! Um, and and I'm like, no, don't do that. So so um, you know, people that go to the Facebook page uh, for the documentary, which is Cellular Wizards in the Video Wasteland, um, if they go there, they can scroll through and see a lot of photos that I've been posting since I launched the campaign. And I, I posted a photo of that actual bughead. I've got the bughead and the hands um, oh, wow. from, the, from that that particular alien creature. Um, but that's just one example of the things that you kind of stumble upon. Uh, there's a lot. I mean, I, I would say that 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 is nothing compared to a lot of the things that I had discovered and come across during the two years plus that I've been collecting interviews on the side uh, for this project. Well, and to find out what the rest of them are, we're going to have to go to Kickstarter. Yeah. We're going to have to fund this thing, and we're going to have to see it when it comes out. Um, Daniel, thank you so much for your hard work, for your dedication, for your passion to following the story of Empire. Uh, anything, any final words you want to share before we go? Any last things to say about the Kickstarter? Well, um, ultimately... This is this is an amazing story, and it, it needs to be told. This is the time to tell it, and um, I just really invite everyone just to be a part of it. 
by by contributing, you really are a part of this story. And and um, if there's anything that that I can do to make that even more apparent, I mean, it's um, you're really you're helping realize a dream, but you're also being a part of that dream. And so, invite all your friends to you know join the adventure and and be a part of this this amazing project. So where can we find you and Celluloid Wizards in the Video Wasteland online? Okay, well, uh, Celluloid Wizards in the Video Wasteland is a Facebook page. So, I mean, if you just type in Celluloid Wizards in the Video Wasteland, I guarantee you it will be the only <laughs> thing there. And um, uh, and the actual official website is just empirepicturesdocumentary.com. Um, I just wanted to make that a little bit easier for people. And, uh, um, and then my company is Ballyhoo Motion Pictures. So BallyhooMotionPictures.com. Um, then, you know, if you go to any of those things, you'll find links to other things. But, um, but there's some exciting things coming up, uh, from Ballyhoo, which is my own company and some really exciting Mystery Science Theater stuff in the works. And certainly a feature documentary about American International that comes out in December. Um, so there's, there's other things that are popping up to look forward to. Well, awesome. Daniel, thank you so much for coming on the Needless Things podcast. We're going to put this thing over like crazy. And uh, best of luck, man. I can't wait to see this. Oh, thank you very much. It's been an honor. I can't wait to see this documentary. Uh, get on Kickstarter and look up Celluloid Wizards in the Video Wasteland. Hey, I got it that time, and I'm not even looking at anything. Uh, and if you can help out a little bit, help out a little bit. Uh, there's some cool rewards. I think there's good values in there for the stuff he's got. Uh, check it out. But there's definitely good value because if you believe in this thing, you just want to see it happen anyway. Like rewards or not, I was going to give this some money. Uh, all right. So that's it for this week. Great show. Hopefully Daniel will be back on sooner than later. Uh, you can find the Needless Things podcast on iTunes, on Stitcher, and at needlessthingssite.com where you can also find five days a week articles about toys, movies, music, and pop culture. And this is all original stuff that you can't find anywhere else. We do not link to news articles. We do not comment on movies that actors say they would be in if somebody paid them you know what i'm talking about if you go to the big sites we don't do any of that bullshit uh we commentate we do not we commentate i don't think that's right but anyway uh, we put effort into what we do we don't just find stuff around the internet and uh make lists we don't do that shit so if you like that spread the word please do share the needless things podcast and the website all over the internet uh, if you can, go hit that PayPal button on the front page of NeedlessThingsSite.com and help us out because we do need it. And thank you. I appreciate you guys listening. I appreciate you guys going to the website. And if you want to give us some feedback, phantomtroublemaker at gmail.com or join the Needless Things podcast Facebook group. Tell us what you think. Tell us what you want to see. Interact with everybody on the site and on the show. Uh, we, we love it. We want to talk to you guys. We want to hear more. Oh, and underoos. Underoos came through. More on that next week. I love you guys. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network, your station for all things geek, classic, current, and beyond. Be part of the crew at esonetwork.com.